0: In today's episode, we discuss positioning and niching down a startup. Let's deploy. Hello, and welcome to Push to Prod. I'm your co-host, Cole, and I work on Lot, a tool to help SaaS companies build revenue through customer
1: success. And I'm your co-host, Dan Miller. I'm building a SaaS for the first time and learning as I go. Each episode, we chat about all sorts of things to do with the world of starting, growing, and operating software businesses. Today is the 13th of June. We're all heading to Sydney tomorrow, and this is episode number eleven. So, what are we doing in Sydney, Cole? Like, what's going on there?
0: <laughs> well, you put out uh, uh, a, was a tweet. Was it yesterday or today? Yeah. I can't remember saying that you're going to be in Sydney, and then I just went, you know what? I'm also going to be in Sydney. Uh, totally well, that's unrelated. Made up in IRL. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we get to see each other. I'm down there. Um, one of my co-founders, Charles, we're heading down to see a client and also have another lunch with sort of a uh, business associate i guess that might be doing some work with us um and that was thursday afternoon and then you said you were there thursday so yeah
1: i'm heading up there uh, my wife kristen's up for a conference and i'm heading up there with her and so in the meantime why not just hang out and schmooze around and have coffee <laughs> why not
0: yeah so that's gonna be fun man i um it's pretty rare i mean i've heard a few podcasts where people like haven't met each other for like five years and stuff like that yeah, so we're, we're gonna at least you know Doing a decent effort here if we meet by episode 11.
1: Yeah, not bad. And I think there's one or two folks in Sydney who might join us as well. So if you're listening to this, which you may or may not be by the time we publish it, you're welcome to join in. I'll do my best. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yeah, how, how was we We just, uh, as when I say we, Australians uh, and probably the UK, I know uh, it's probably just Australia, uh, we just had our first at least that I remember, uh, King's long weekend because of the monarchy change. So, how did your uh, long weekend go,
1: Dan? Yeah, I had a lovely King's birthday long weekend. Uh, my daughter, she went out h- hiking in the bush with the scouts, so it left Kristen and I at home, and we just made the most of the free time together. You know, did all sorts of fun things, had some dinners together. Kristen got out, and you know, she she's an artist, so she got out painting for a bit. And I thought excellent bit of bit of free time to work on my stuff that I'm building, which was nice and. Yeah, it was just really relaxing, really yeah. free time. How about you? What did you get up to?
0: Well, it was, man, magic weather. Um, I went to, we went to Vivid. We booked, um, so for those who don't know, Vivid's like a, a big, I guess, spectacular light show setup they have in Sydney. Uh, I think they do it in Melbourne too, is that right? Um, yeah. But yeah, Sydney, I don't know how long it goes for. It must be weeks. They set up, you know, lights everywhere through the harbour. We've, pre-COVID, we used to try get down there you know, just for a night on a Saturday night. And I swear every time I've gone, it's just rained, you know, just torrential <laughs> rain, you know, you, which we don't really mind. We, like, we go to bed early, so you just go to the hotel. We always get good views of it. This weekend was just a cracker. It was just blue sky, nice, like cold but not too cold. But, you know, like you're rugged up, see the lights. So um, – and my kids are old enough now that they can sort of wander around by themselves. Like we go with a family – another family uh, with two girls as well so the teenagers all went off and the adults went to opera bar <laughs> like cool. we got there just pre to lunch pre-lunch got a table straight away and then we were there till uh, i think like eight o'clock at night
1: oh when the lights came on that's a nice spot to sit and enjoy
0: that so we had a good lunch sat around had drinks sat there all afternoon and then saw the lights and then we went back to our hotel and that had a rooftop bar as well so went up and saw sort of the <laughs> other end like the other side of the like one we we saw the harbor and then at the hotel we were
1: looking sort of the other way which was pretty cool yeah i'm looking forward to it i'm going to pop up tomorrow night and check out some vivid i'm going to see the dark spectrum at the wynyard tunnels um that's the old uh sydney underground railway tunnels and they've turned it into a bit of a a vivid theme where they're going to set that up with lighting and and make it you know nice a nice show of it so yeah, i'm checking that out tomorrow night yeah Looking that should be good
0: it. we didn't actually make it down there but um that's not why we went i guess We're, we must be the only people who go to vivid not to actually you know see everything but just relax it's just such a good view too so he's yeah. heaps relaxing so well I'll actually i'll go with you first because i think my updates probably got more to do with the topic at hand but what have you been up to just sort of since we lost caught up
1: well building wise i've been having a bit of fun i I've got all the pieces of my puzzle together and I've got Kristen on alpha tester duty. So she's in there now, she's playing around, she's telling me what's working, what's not. And we're seeing, you know, a few little things that obviously I've, I'm noting down, I've got a fix. Maybe f- most, mostly with flows of things, you know, that flow doesn't really work or, or that sign up flow, it, it needs a bit of a bug fix right there, you know, that sort of stuff. So it's great. I'm very excited about it. Um, yeah, I'm happy. Oh, that's really cool.
0: Actually, yeah. I will uh, should have brought up I have a um our whole family's gone through a cold and I'm still slightly snuffly. So if I sound a bit weird or I have to mute, that's Dan can cover for me. Just wanted <laughs> to bring that up just in case i start sniffling. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, well, um, yeah, what are we talking about today? So that's sort of related to my update is um yeah, look, use a lot, I brought this up a couple of weeks ago. Use a lot's been um you know, dealing with a bit of slow traction as well as us realising that we've – we probably knew we were going to realise this, but realising that we've built a product that is uh, large, competes in a really competitive market and has a very established market and problem space type thing, so really good competitors. We also wanted to come in – we always wanted to come in as sort of the small person on the block. Um, But look, at the end of the day, that just means that – you know, you either have to compete head on or you've got to start really being conscious about, you know, the market segment inside that larger market that you're sort of, you know, dealing with to try and get that traction up and sort of get that message out. And so that's why, you know, we've we've started a lot of sort of positioning, I'll, I'll call it positioning work, but also just investigating certain potential niches that we'd want to niche down in. So I thought that would be a cool topic for a podcast because it's related to startups and startups obviously have those challenges of, you know, building an MVP and validating the problem even beforehand and all that. So it's sort of positioning and you could argue as, you know, companies get bigger, positioning is more of an even bigger problem. But, yeah, I just want to sort of run through some of the challenges we have but as well as just discuss what positioning is and and just, yeah, just have back and forth and, you know, hopefully you can challenge us on some things as well and just make us think and I think some people might enjoy hearing that.
1: Fantastic. And I'm, I'm actually really interested in this topic as well, simply because I'm, you know, planning at some point in the future of just actually launching my thing. Um, and I'm very interested to sort of think to myself, right, at what point do I straddle from hypothesis, you know, idea to, okay, really getting into the heads of actual customers and then thinking about positioning. So let's talk a little bit about that, about that today as well, Cole.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we just start with, like what it is and obviously it's a it's probably slightly you know it's one of these words that has probably lots of different definitions and things but you know there's a couple and I think you even had a look at through some of them um, and then I definitely wanted to talk through um, a sort of a bit of a positioning framework that we've followed and we do follow one of the sort of key people in that space so I think that might set the groundwork of some of the the topic that we talk about but then after that we could definitely delve into some of, some of the specific positions that we're attempting to test out and you know and talk through that as well which would be pretty cool i think
1: all right let's do it
0: yeah so i guess what is positioning is the first thing so you know um i think you had some notes here about you know it's it's about finding out those things that devoted customers love about your product you know obviously finding out who they are in the first place you know why they love your product you know what market segment that fits in and all that so you could argue it's a little bit of a you know, it's, it's putting your flag in some type of sand and say this is who we are, this is what we do and this is who we serve. Um, I feel like, and that's true to some, you know, obviously, you know, correct me if you've got other opinions of it. Um, I think the biggest thing to me about that and all that is that it's positioning is like a deliberate Thing that you decide to do. Like, mm, yes, yeah. you could uh, you could argue that. You could say that I'm going to go out find customers and, like, I'm going to go find a problem, uh, talk to people who have that problem and then build a product for those people and stuff like that. And that's cool and that's sort of leading you down this path of, you know, your solution and what your product should do. But equally if you know that when you've run it especially this is where it happens with established businesses or, or growing businesses they've obviously gone past that phase and they know yep. there's a problem they know there's a market so then it's more of a decision around deliberately putting yourself in a particular place around the you know the values that you have the values that the client has and obviously the problem uh, that your product solves and yep. so that's it uh, sounds sort of similar but I think it's a little different when you add that word deliberate in to me that makes it feel a little bit like okay there could be a process here which helps me decide what that is yep. um, and then the output of that then you know obviously it flows down if I go
1: through this sort of
0: process then I get to the end of it and here's you know this is my
1: current position I agree with you on that one I, I I'm thinking back to when we first started Trade Guardian with Kristen and I right we had a hypothesis at that point. We, we we thought, you know, actually we had a few people who actually had the problem, which we knew how to solve. So we started our, our business around that problem and we built it around that. But over time, the actual customers that we got started evolving and changing pretty mm. fast. Yeah, yeah. And then we grew pretty fast and we got quite a number of customers. And it wasn't until that point that we said to ourselves, you know what? Let's be deliberate, like you said, Cole, let's be deliberate about the type of customers we go for here because there's certain types that aren't really of, you know, we're not a good fit for each other. Um, There are certain types which we, we love because, you know, they're excellent. They just love what we do and they keep coming back again and again and again and they tell us when they come back, we love what you do, keep doing it. So we just we decided to be deliberate and positioned ourselves around those particular types of customers. I think that's what you were getting at, was it?
0: Oh, that's exactly what we're getting at. And and um and that's why I think it's interesting in this space that we're in because like I'm sorry, when I say we're, I'm talking about use a lot here. Um and that's because just to, you know, go back and you know if there's any new listeners, like use a lot is in a, it's basically, a, you know, it's service servicing s- effectively SaaS companies that have recurring revenue and the CS teams that are, you know, in those products, or like you know, that work with that product. Um, and if you look and it's, you know, it's a massively expanding space, there's not that many players but they're all doing really well but they are quite large. You know, they get like even as of March, one of our smaller competitors got $30 million in funding even in this wow. type of climate, you know. So yep. there's obviously... Uh, you know, a sense of growth, there's new, you know, even now I've seen two other new ones pop up in the last probably, you know, I don't know, four months or so like that. Um, all of them, there's a, this, I'll say all of them, it's not totally true obviously, but the majority of our competitors, I don't believe, have had to even make that deliberate positioning decision. They've actually, if you go look at their websites, you They service SaaS companies and customer success teams. That's it. Like, it's cool. I mean, that's a position, right? Like, obviously, they're not going to sell to the local corner shop or whatever. But (laughs) they haven't actually niched down to some small area of that because they haven't had
1: to. And that's what I was just thinking what you said. I thought, okay, that's probably because a lot of them are funded and they've put the stake in the ground. And they said, we're going for it because we've got the budget to hit that segment hard. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, maybe that's what's going on. Yeah,
0: oh, absolutely, there's that for sure. Yeah, there's probably that. Um but like so when you're like us and you come along and you try and like compete against that, then if you then target the same similar customers, they they and you're then talking to those customers about, you know, the ones at least that um, our competitors are dealing with, um they then find our competitors as well and then you you're in this position of like we can't you can't just compete against people who already have all that track record so um you know we decided to go down okay we need to find a better smaller niche inside of what you would class as a fairly you know when you're talking about b2b SaaS, which i guess is the broad broad market here um you know and and there is other sort of markets outside of that that could still use this product but um it's a you know that's a big space and so like how do you niche down into that and so that's where we started to you know, I guess go back to the drawing board a little bit on that. Um, and the funny thing is this is probably, I'm probably talking a lot here, but that's when I finally opened up the book. So April, there's, a, there's a, an awesome, um, you know, expert in this field who's really sort of the expert in positioning and her name's April Dunford. She, I won't say she fell, well, she'll say she sort of fell into this. Like she originally was a tech background and then became a head of marketing. And anyway, the, you know, she's basically boiled it down to this framework um, and spent the last, you know, whatever it is, 10, 15 years going into companies and helping them position their stuff. And her material is, you know how, have you read, is it James Clear's Habits or Atomic yes. Habits? Yeah, it's one yeah. of those books like that, smaller, that is it's just straight actionable. straight to the point. Yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's not all about fluff and marketing. and.
1: I, I love listening and reading April's stuff. She, she gets straight to the point. She doesn't beat around the bush, but she gives very straight, Forward introductory type statements yes. that says here is the situation here's the context here's what we did and here's why it worked it's just really good yeah
0: and and i'll even admit i like her stuff is not 100 built this is going to your probably your original point there a little bit around as a startup you're probably doing a bit more hypothesis and testing and things like that and i absolutely agree and even april i think would agree that even where we use a lot is a lot of it is just making you know you make some you're you say that this market segment or this, you know, you're going to take a position here and then you go test it and then you you know, iterate on that. Um, But I do find value in just the process she's put in place um, to go through with that, even though I know some of the things we have to sort of jump over because we're like, well, we can't go out and talk to 20 clients and say, what did you love about us? Why did you buy us? Because we don't have that, Mm. you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah, I think that's... um, that's where we're at really we're taking her positioning stuff which I, I and I'll step into that just a little bit We won't obviously go through the whole thing because just get her book or even her website is you know good enough and just a plug she's just started a podcast so if you're into this and you want to get learn more about April there's heaps of resources there to, to get on that um, yeah. but yeah we want definitely want to go through a little bit of that process to help guide our tests I
1: guess is where we're at with with you lot. I think that's solid. Doing that with years a lot means that you're following a structured approach, and by doing that, you can actually record your results, record your steps along the way, and you can just keep iterating it and improve and seeing what's going to work, right? But by doing the the process, um, it's going to be sort of something that you're quite familiar with, and it'll be, you know, second nature to you in no time. You'll be sort of saying, all right, great, that hypothesis sort of worked, so let's try it again, but let's tweak that, or... That hypothesis didn't work at all. Those that customer segment we thought we were going for, just not going to work. And you know, by following that approach, you, you're not really being random about it. You're sort of just sort of saying, "All right, let's be considerate about this. Let's just get on with the process, get it done. Next, you know, you can move fast then. Yeah.
0: I'll just step through. There's actually six. Uh, Like thing, like steps that you go through. Five are the ones that she's really published, but there is actually a sixth one, which I think is important as well. But, um, so the first one, so probably worth just spending a couple of minutes on each one and then, you know, we can, that'll flesh out a heap of new stuff. Um, the first one is actually, um, actually one thing i love about her stuff is you know when before you do all this most people what's the biggest thing people fail with marketing their product or or when someone says oh what do you what's your product do? most people jump straight into features and yep. talk feature 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 feature, feature, <laughs> feature and we all do it and we all love to do it and the thing i liked about april's stuff is although she doesn't do that she sort of does do, allow you to do that which actually feels more natural um but she does it in a way that guides you the right way. You know, like it's not so you don't get stuck in just, oh, yeah, we do, what we, we've got 100 features. That's why the best. It's not that. But I do like that she doesn't try to sort of 100% go straight into, well, what's the core problem you solve? You know, because sometimes that can be a little
1: harder. Yeah, if you, you've got to have a little bit of feature in there anyway because there will be one or two individuals that you talk to that just say, right, right, I get it, I get it. Tell me what your thing does. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. so that's the cool thing with some of her. So anyway, we'll, we'll get into that and you'll see how sort of earlier uh, in the process it comes. But it, look, there is some caveats, so don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that it's you know feature selling at all, but it it's just how she's approached it. But the first thing is um, obviously one of the bigger insights is just starting with competitive alternatives, which – is looking at your niche or the position, you know, and just in general and saying, well, ask yourself the question, if someone didn't use my product, what are they going to use? Or if you're in our position, if they didn't use any of my competitors' products, what would they be doing? And then really have a think about that. And I think majority of the time what you end up coming back to is they just won't use anything. Like, yep. like this is the, spreadsheets. Yeah, spreadsheets. <laughs> they've done it. That's the age old one that everyone uses, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> and then the the cool thing is, is when you start putting your brain into that mentality, a you drop this idea that I need to worry about my competitors, like because most of the time, and I literally was talking to a guy from microcromp the other day about this, when he was, you know, I was showing him use a lot and we we're talking about stuff like that he had eventually found our competitors. But up until when I talked to him at MicroConf back in April, he hadn't known any of them. So like he's got a problem. He's tried to look for it. Um, I talked to him at at, um, MicroConf and he had never found one of our competitors. Like the reality is you know your competitors so much more than what your clients know your competitors because that's all you do that's all you think about oh crap that they've copied me here or they've done this or, or they've got this feature that we need or they've jumped on the ai bandwagon yeah, faster than yeah. me. cool it probably doesn't matter because most of your can comp- most of your clients are currently using a spreadsheet
1: and to be honest um it's actually not bad business to actually be able to tell people who you know prospective customers say to them look here's your options you could go with competitor a b c d or us or do nothing and use spreadsheets. <laughs> like it, that's actually helpful advice. It so is. Yeah. It's
0: actually showing that you give a crap about why they're coming to you and what, you know. And and let's be realistic as you go through this process. Hopefully you'll get to a position where you know you don't service all of them. So you can just go, hey, go use this product. You know, we used to do that with Social Pinpoint all the time. It's like if you don't value, ours was really niched into, you know, actually mapping, you know, like GIS mapping sort of stuff. And so if someone came, But it wasn't a GIS tool, so don't get me wrong. So if they came to it to try and turn it into a GIS tool, it was like, hey, you got to go to ArcGIS.
1: So that's it, eh? Ask them who the competitors are. Ask yourself who your competitors are and even if what are the competitors if if there are none.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I would actually like, you know, side with that, like really have a think about what would they be doing? And that's when you start opening up, well, they're probably using, you know, in our case, they're using a CRM maybe instead of this or they're they're trying to bastardize, you know, Google Analytics to do some of all these type of things. And then you can start going, okay, well, what are the problems they're going to run into when they do that, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Um, So when you get that aligned, like in your head, you're obviously writing all this down and going, right, these are the alternatives, blah, blah, blah. Hmm. then you do get into the features, right? So straight into features, but they are a little bit particular And that what you really want to do is focus on your features. So list all your features out, list them out. You know, like this is the thing I love. It's like you're allowed to talk about your features now, which most people when you go to a talk about this, people say, don't talk about your features, where she's like, nah, get them out, get it out of your system, them like, <laughs> yeah, put them all down. But then the trick part here is you've got to go back through those features and you've got to be 100% honest mark the ones that you know make are better than your competitors or this is what, you know, this is the key feature. Even if it's one, this is the feature that you bring to the table that the others don't. And some of those features might not be in your product. It might be that…
1: That is a really good point.
0: It might be that you are the best person in the world to offer a custom setup of this tool because you've done it for 20 years and you've built this product… Yep. That's your feature.
1: <laughs> As you were talking, that's exactly what was going into my head. I was like, you know what? It's not always technical features. It could actually be the way you do user support. It could be the way you help people concierge onboard them. You know, it could be all sorts of things. I agree. And
0: it's it's those other things outside, especially, and <clears throat> this is where it gets really important when you are in this phase, because you, you can do things that aren't scalable where the big ones don't want to do that stuff, you know, and they shouldn't at that stage. And you shouldn't when you're their their size either, you know. Um, But this is what I really like about this framework, and it's really getting into – and that's when you said April, you know, really clears that out in her writing, that's what she spells out. And so you've got all these little checkpoints where you go, yep, think about that, think about that. Um, Yeah, so once you get in, you've got this list now, you've got this whatever, you know, and obviously you don't want a lot of them. You want, I don't know, two or three or four – of these key unique attributes, these things you bring to the table that the others don't, or if they do, you you can say that you do it better than them. You know, like you believe it. Um, and then the next step is then you start thinking about the customer. But I like how she does it. She, um, she doesn't so much, like you can sort of forget the customer a little bit here and just sort of say, well, this is getting to this feature benefit value type thing. It's like, well, what benefit is having that feature? Like if you said before, um, you know, really good at onboarding, so what, what benefit does that bring to people? okay, well, they can get it on, you know, it's maybe it's, it, they can afford to be a bit slower with the uptake, they, but they want the high touch, you know, or whatever it is, you know, all these types of things, the benefits come.
1: If I put it into use a lot speak for a second and I, forgive me if I get this completely, if I get this completely wrong, but here's my, here's my, you know, my analogy here use a lot, you know, it's there to help customer success. It's there to help people make the most of their existing customers so that's what use does your competitors are a b and c i don't know the names, so i won't say them here um but your key unique attributes let's just say hypothetically that use because you guys are a small startup and you have the ability to do things that don't scale you guys are going to be the best at onboarding you guys are going to actually put in above and beyond effort to enable whoever becomes your your next customer to um, you, you'll do it for them you'll set everything up you'll integrate it into their system you'll make it work and then that is your unique attribute which the big players just won't do because they can't afford to do it now that would provide huge amounts of value because what is the value there well you could go and use competitor X if you want to we'll do it for you we'll set it up for you you don't have to lift a finger now that is huge value that right there nah no, exactly
0: yeah. and that's uh, that's why we're on down in Sydney on Thursday so yeah there you go <laughs> No that is one of them yeah for sure yeah and so um, you hit the nail on the head man do you want nice. to come work for you a lot um, <laughs> so that yeah so those value like when you when you get into this step you're looking at okay those that benefit that i'm offering um, someone values that benefit you know like that like so whatever it is you know and and like maybe let's talk about the onboarding thing why would they even value that it's because they they're time poor maybe they don't have enough resources you know so they
1: can't onboard someone exactly it's one of the biggest things that people stop people from using systems because they go oh i can't be Bothered, man, it's too much work to move over to that new platform. So that's an awesome value proposition.
0: And so when you go through each of those features, you look at the different values, uh, like benefits, and then the value that is associated with having that benefit. And it'll eventually like bubble down to a couple of these sort of, I guess, you know, when you said right at the beginning with your trade Guardian, you started to make decisions about what you valued and what customers yeah, you yeah. wanted to have and things like that. So yeah. what this the output of this step then goes into the next, which is talking about what customers actually care about those values. And then that's where this really starts getting targeted because then you sit back and go, okay, well, who would care about, okay, maybe they're under-resourced and also don't have time to do uh-huh. the onboarding. Who, what types of people actually have those problems? And then that starts yeah. bubbling up. Okay. You're starting to build a persona. You start building this persona of the types of people or positions uh, like, and she actually says, I, I think I might be getting this wrong, but I'm pretty sure she sort of says steer clear of position. Don't like, don't say it is the CTO that has this problem. Sort of think about the, the person who would care about that yeah. problem, you know. So for example, it might be a CTO, but it's because the CTO, man, I'm just coming up with stuff here. But the type of person who values a particular thing might be a really uh, task oriented person and that uh-huh. okay, ha- I see what you happens mean. Yeah. to be a CTO a lot of time but it's there could be trachs. a founder there yeah, yeah. you know it, all this sort of stuff and so you start being able to build up this really clear picture of the types of because what you're trying to get here is you're trying to get to the point where you in your marketing can really play on those values and the things that people feel because that's how you sell you know people don't buy stuff logically they buy stuff emotionally
1: yeah and then that would enable you if you obviously then you don't think about the uh, the role that the people are in, but more the traits. When you can have conversations with people, then you can sort of say, who in your organization does this and has this and, and is in, involved in this sort of thing. That's the people we want to talk to, as opposed to, I want to talk to your CTO. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay.
0: Yeah. So, um, yeah, you get into that. So that's helping you like, um, yeah, like work out sort of the types of person, you know, the customers, the people who would care about that particular. So that's sort of step four. Um, that at the next point, you get into like the market. Um, you start working out, okay, what market segments and how small can I get that market segment that has people in that, you know, yep. um, that, you know, like go as small as you can but big enough that your short-term sales goals could still be hit. So that's sort yeah, of, gotcha. that's probably helping you to drive it back, back like, you know, as small as you can get because the yep. tighter you can get, the more chance your messaging's mm-hmm. on point and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, this does start getting into the point where you know psychologically you need things to ground your thinking do you know what i mean and you just got to understand that you're going to land in a market category so you can come in and you can say you know whatever it is i mean let's talk about maybe you'll maybe you take data and you transform it into information you know like you this type of information your product thing um if you start if you're targeting people who are really analytical and all that sort of stuff, you're, you're probably going to land in some type of data analytics position, like like Mark, you're going to be compared against that if you're not careful, mm-hmm. um, which is fine, but you need to know that that's where you're going to be. So, okay. you know, at the end of the day, you found these traits in the people, you eventually start identifying, you know, where they would sit in a particular market category, and then you'll start going, okay, well, that means if we position our product to target that in that analytic Thing. we're going to be compared against whatever, I don't know, Microsoft, you know, whatever, you know, like the maybe the mixed panels and segments of the world and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, because you, I guess you have to be realistic that if you land in one of those categories, even if you, you know, you think, okay, well, I 30% of my product's actually there, it does all this other stuff. If you're positioning yourself in there, then you know that's how you have to market it, you have to look at because people only understand things if they're comparing against other stuff they already yeah.
1: understand yeah you know? it has to be familiar to them
0: yeah and so that gets you that market like that's where you start then going you've you've followed this process if you choose a certain it's like choose your own adventure if you choose these type of values going to end up potentially in this market if you choose something else you end up with somewhere yeah. else and then obviously you want to run tests to you know check that out the sixth category that you should all um factor in is um Like trending topics as well. So (laughs)
1: where's the wave moving?
0: Yeah, and so that's not required, but highly recommended. And I guess you know, obviously, you can. You know, what's the current trend right now is AI, (laughs) and so you are seeing this trend of people positioning even the current products in our space into AI as well, and saying that you know this is one of our things. You know, we're an AI-driven blah blah blah. You know, (laughs) obviously it's no brainer, but um, you you don't always have to do it. You just have to be very conscious that. They so said there's a trend hanging around, maybe you want a position in there as well in some but yeah, so like the cool as I said, like I'd probably butchered half of
1: that. April probably roll, you know, roll her eyes at some of it if she heard this. But like But it's nice to see how you're doing it with years a lot. So that's cool. That's the point.
0: I've been talking there. Like, what's your thoughts or have you got
1: questions on them? Well, I, I thoroughly agree with all that. And I do think that um it does take time to get that. So you can't just launch out, well, this is this is my question, you probably can't just launch out um, when you're a brand new startup, right? And I think you mentioned at the start and start thinking about positioning straight away because really when it comes down to positioning conversations, you actually have to be speaking to customers. You need to be speaking to them to say, what do you think about us? Why are you using us? Why do you think we're amazing? Why are you using us instead of the competitors? You know, what is it about the things we do that you love that you just can't? you know, you couldn't do without. That is the, that's the gold which gets you towards your positioning movement over time. Again, when we started Trade Guardian, we had no idea who we were positioning and what we were doing. We were just going hard, trying to get as many customers as we could to start with. But over time, those positioning questions started becoming clear. And then another thing that I heard you say before um, is around, you know, customers that care. And when you said, you know, go for your specific market, decide what market you're going to go for or what segment you're going to go for, Again, that takes a bit of time for you, both you, your business, and also your customers to find out what you eat, You know, which sort of groups like each other. That's the that's what you're aiming for. You're aiming for a win-win there. And um, again, you won't get that until you've been in existence for a bit of time, and that people can actually realise, okay, we're good for this segment. We're not good for that segment. We're not a good match. Those types of people over there love us. Those types of people over there. They couldn't really care less about us. And again, that that takes time. So my question is, if you're an early stage business, how are you going to position your business to get your first few customers? My question there is that like, you know, uh, uh, really, are you actually just going to be scrappy and trying to get whoever you can as fast as you can? That's something I'm considering.
0: Valid. I think majority of startups probably should absolutely do that. Like I think, yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's... I think that's what you should do. Um, I think with use a lot. The problem we have there is uh, so people are not going to find us organically because our the S, like the competitors' S, like we're talking three four hundred dollars a click for AdWords. Yeah, we are. You're talking about, okay. um, you know, we're talking about our LinkedIn size following might be you know it's pushing a thousand the other guys get ten thousand a week or something like that yeah. one of our competitors oh sorry it might yep. have been a month i can't remember but be, yeah it's crazy so it, there's a lot of outbound and so whenever you're doing targeted outbound i guess when you do that you don't kind of want to be random right. because you burn okay. so much yeah. of you know if you're buying lists or you know hopefully you are not but if you're doing it on sales navigator or whatever you know you don't want to just blast whatever because you end up going, well, okay, again, if you stand for nothing, you fall for anything this is the whole gotcha. thing. So I like the idea of thinking about being scrappy, but I think about I like thinking about say, well, I can position I can position our company in three three different niches very quickly. And then I can also do outbound on all three of them and then measure what happens and yeah, get okay. feedback on that. And if I do that enough, hopefully I'll get my first 10, 20, 30 clients and then bang, then start.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. You're effectively A B testing. You know, you're choosing this on this, and maybe C A B C testing. Yeah, okay, I so see what you're saying there. Yeah, my yeah. biggest
0: thing with if you're not going to get like if you're on if you get leads like if you can drum up enough, you know, you got a good following on Twitter or whatever it is, and you can drum up people hitting your website fairly organically and stuff like that. Then I think that's totally right. Like be as scrappy as you can and get whoever you can. Um, but if that's crickets because it's just yeah. such a hard market and you have to make the noise, it's very hard to make enough noise that it covers every it's a drop in the ocean yeah so it's far better i think to sort of go well i'm going to at least choose to play in these areas first and then just measure and get out quickly if it doesn't work yeah at least that's what we're thinking
1: have you guys had any thoughts yet about like which areas you might start trying to niche down into to get your positioning moving
0: so the three and two of them are fairly easy to describe the Fourth, third one's a bit weird, so that I might sound like I'm waffling on that one a bit. (laughs) (laughs) The first one is the one I'd love to get working, um, but I'm not sure if it would totally work. So let's be honest here: is actually get and I've talked about before the founder startup space in terms of getting CS into SaaS companies earlier than what they're technically um, at least using our competitor products at. So, and there was a really timely. LinkedIn discussion that I got involved in with our biggest competitor's CEO today. Like he's nice. He's awesome. I love him. We follow the same um, NFL team. So he's awesome. But he was basically saying, you know, the opposite of what we're trying to do here in the sense that he thinks it's probably not at least the current state of the CS tools that are out there are not built for that early stage. And even earlier, uh, so by his comments, it sounds like he would even cut it off. Like he's saying like, under 10, so if your company doesn't have more than 10 CS staff, then you're probably too early to be using some of these platforms. And I'm like, whoa, yeah. that's okay. That is, and he's like, he prefaced his whole thing with, I'm going to, this is controversial post here, <laughs> you know, like, which, um, so the cool thing there is he, he's either right, because he's obviously a legend, he basically made this space uh, and that niche isn't going to work. <laughs> or like they say, um You know, you have to have a contrarian view, execute on it, and you have to actually be right about the contrarian view. And if you are, hey, there is a market there. So, look, that's one of them that we're going
1: after. There could be. There was once a point in time, Cole, you probably remember it as well as I do, that um, we didn't actually require logins to our software. (laughs) Um, There also was a point in time where we used to roll our own authentication and we just store the data, um, passwords in our databases and we wouldn't even salt them and you know we wouldn't encrypt them. And over time, we've evolved to the point where we take it really, really seriously now when we're building software systems. User authentication and authorization is built in from day dot. It's one thing that we just don't even think about. It has to be there. It's a non-starter if it's not. So maybe what you're talking about there is that we're just me- m- moving to a point in the evolution of SaaS that CS is one of those things we're starting to move up the um, the maturity scale.
0: I think it, I mean, I look, I mean, that's why I started use. I'll be honest. This is probably the most passionate niche that I, if it worked because I, we've said Charles and I've like my other main founder in terms of the business side is we've harped on it all the time. Like devs, devs use ticketing. They use GitHub, like marketers are straight on HubSpot, you know, whatever it is, all you think of any vertical in a business like department, They've got tools. If I go and get a salesperson, they're going to want to use HubSpot, Salesforce, Pipedrive, whatever. I get a CS person and so many times, man, we hire them straight out of uni, not doing CS. We just get people out of uni, whack them in and say you're a CS person. Oh, by the way, I don't know how you're going to do it. Like there's no tools. Like (laughs) you have to use – oh, we've got a chatbot, intercoms there. Like they'll do a bit of this and – yeah, like it's just it's pathetic.
1: This is, this is interesting. I, I can start seeing now that you're painting a picture of the the things that you need in a SaaS or the things you need in a in a in a founded in a founded startup business. But you know, does software is you need this this this, and you also need CS. That's part of the stack. Yeah. It
0: is, and the other thing is, like the reason why I'm passionate about it is we fight so hard for that money, especially as a startup like that that sale. And then we just think it's just magically going to renew at some point. We don't have a process and a standardized way to make sure that once they come in, not only do they adopt the product and use it properly, they expand,
1: they renew, and they help us sell other clients on their success. Here's me coming at you um, as a potential customer. I'm not saying I am or not, but here's me. I'm building my software system, right? And it just make me just almost to send, my, to send me to tears all the amount of work and all the effort I've put into building this thing, only to see someone sign up and then drop off. You know, you just be going, oh, what, are the, what am I doing? So actually having the tool set, the framework, the materials, that would mean my new customers would stick around longer and stick around for a really long time, mate, that is value right there for sure.
0: But to think that we can't, I hope, I sincerely hope as a, you know, a SaaS, what do you call it, like a... Um, you know as a as an industry that we don't give up on that early stage and go ah oh, t- you're too early you have got to wait till you get big enough until you can mature that side of the business i'm like
1: come on no way no way sign me up
0: <laughs> anyway like uh, who does but hopefully we'll get there um so that's one um but you know in the flip side it's bloody hard we've had so many discussions with founders that love it as soon as you start getting them on board they're too busy something that they've got you know two of them lost devs like they've had to you know cuz you know the downturn the 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 market at the moment is a bit weird. And so they've lost a few people. So therefore, you know, there's other priorities, you know. And so that's the problem with the, when you target these smaller, <laughs> you know, Fair businesses, enough. they don't have the resources. So anyway, that's hence our yeah. discussion before. Um the other one is an interesting one because it is related to the third one, but two and three are very related, but two is even more positioned down. And so I'll guess I'll I'll talk about all of two and three together. And then I'll describe, I guess, number two, which is, uh, you know, sorry, I'm waffling here. So the next step is to go, well, okay, there's founders and all that. But the next one is to really just target mature sas companies or at least ones that have high or annual contracts mainly so like the
1: ones that can't afford to give up those customers yeah
0: like you know if i lose like what we we describe it as churn isn't just a blip on the radar like you know churn's not just a percentage nine ten eight seven if i lost that client oh, that you know that's a big one you know like um you know, I might only have 20 clients and they're all worth a hundred thousand each. So I can't lose any of that type of client. Do you know what I mean? Like that, that, that type of segment. Um, now competitors do service that, so don't get me wrong, but like they also service SaaS and that, you know, it's all, you know, plugging in automatically to all these tools. A lot of these mature ones don't even have a lot of that installed. You even ask that, you know, they use Salesforce, but you go ask them, well, okay, well, what products do you have? Ah, uh, well, we've got, three Salesforce instances set up and I'm not totally sure what licenses. Yeah. Like it's, it's a mess. You know what I mean? Um, and so to be able to bring some of that into a consolidated place where they could, you know, start managing that properly and actually bringing a customer success department on rather than sort of just customer support and account management. Um, that's a whole niche there in itself. Um, so we don't know really what to call that because it's really weird when you say, hey, we target, you know, people who just have annual contracts or, or high-value contracts. It's a bit of a weird niche to call. Like we're not totally sure how you can call that one, but I think we can describe it and find the ones we, we're talking about here. Um, but the, I guess the, the smaller niche again on that, and that's coming from our background, is that same niche but only ones that are GovTech.
1: So that's even smaller again. So people that service government organisations.
0: Basically. I've got a SaaS yeah. product. I'm a GovTech pieces product. Um, I'm selling into government. My contract's worth 80 grand a year.
1: Mm, mm. I've got a three-year
0: uh, annual contract with them. And guess what happens with a lot of GovTech products in three years? I have to go into tender again. So yeah, that's So right. not only am I doing an awesome job, I still might lose to the next tender because I have – basically it's the only niche – that you have to you know you could do all the right stuff but you still have to resell your product again because a lot of governments have to go out for tender and get three quotes or you know like all this sort of stuff
1: there's a lot of a lot in that space in these days it's um infrastructure right so like AWS type organisations or HP organisations or you know that, are you talking about those sort of gov tech providers or a little bit more even niche down than that? Oh, uh,
0: they're, they're no nah, niche down. So I think the social pinpoints are like companies um, that are anywhere from you know like well they can be really big or they might only still be you know five ten million ARR but they're selling into government.
1: Yeah, I see. Yeah, okay. Cool. And,
0: but you could also argue service companies that that offer a service into government and so they're trying yeah. to renew their annual contracts all the time. Yeah. Um, so there is this other slight different niche which isn't really SAS but is you know just government have at least this is a hypothesis and we've put up a landing page and we're starting to reach out to say hey look these are the main points we think are different to just if you went and bought one of our competitors what do you think and we're getting you know pretty good feedback it is a small that one is an interesting niche because going back to April's point it needs to be big enough that if you realistically got a percentage like you can't get all of them in that market but if you got a small percentage of that market on board is it big enough to achieve what you want to achieve you know and i guess the question we would have is probably yes but we would probably then find we'd reposition sooner rather than later if that you know went well if you know what i mean but yeah anyway so like what we're trying to do is is look at the whole market of b2b SaaS companies that you know there's a lot of them out there and saying well what what part of that are the types of customers we would go after. And that's when we've started looking at these niches of, you know, founder startups, GovTech, SaaS, and I guess what we would call, you know, these mature, I think you called it mature, down when I asked the question. I was sort of like calling it legacy. (laughs) What established. (laughs) But yeah. Um, Yeah. So looking at some of them, but that just brings our messaging right down and, and we can really key on the types of problems those people would be facing and then see, you know, um, what they think of a demo basically
1: <laughs> nice so the learnings from this i think is you can um take that framework any framework but you're choosing you know april dunford's one um which is actually quite a solid framework and then applying it to then find some specific niches and then work with those niches to see if you can position down within them see yes. if that that hypothesis works that's a really good um a good approach I, I like that and i think so you know, I've learned something from that today. I reckon I could put that into use myself. Thank you, it's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, well, hopefully it works. So look, I, um, it's one of these things where, um, you know, if it, it it works, so long as you keep doing it, and eventually, even if that means you work out your product isn't the right, you know, you might find that yeah. you know what you need to build or hang off the side or build a whole new thing to service that as well. So That's right. It's yeah. all knowledge at it the is. end of the day. It <laughs> is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Like so that.
0: that's um. Yeah, that's the positioning chat we wanted to have, I guess. Um, I'll have, I guess I can report back in a couple of episodes or maybe a little bit longer of how some of these have gone because we're also going into the North American um, summer, which we're always conscious of. When you start trying to do a lot of outreach and research calls, you can write, you know, late June, early July off.
1: People are on holidays. Um, yeah, fair enough. Cole, I've actually really enjoyed that. I've learnt something tonight and, and I'm thankful for that because, like I said, I am in the early, early stages what I do and some of those questions are always bouncing around the back of my mind. So I think you've given me something there I can work with. So that's ah, awesome. Thank well,
0: you. I hope so and I'm always learning too. So I'm sure sure uh, we made a bunch of mistakes along the way too but we'll, we'll give it a go. Hey,
1: if we have made mistakes, make sure you call out to us online, folks. Get in touch with us via Twitter. Or hit us up on the emails. We'll 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 tell you what those are at the end, anyway.
0: But we also had a shout out from Martin. Well, we're shouting out uh, Morton Stensland. Stensland, I think. Uh, That's right. Morton
1: does the um he does the audio mixing. That's that's his um and he's made this awesome product which is the countdown time, the stage timer. um, Awesome. um, Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so he sent us a really good, uh, a number of topics actually. One of them um, sort of, I thought it was useful and I'd sort of message him back a bit because I think it might be useful, definitely have a chat about in a future one. is just sort of the pros and cons of building in stealth the building in public and especially in the building public world, these, um, you know, the, I guess the dangers or is it a danger that people can, you know, I'll just say copy or steal your idea and how do you deal with that? What are the ethics? Should we build in public, have a sort of code of ethics or code of conduct? So he brought up some of those discussions. And I, it, when he brought it up, it was funny because we were prepping for this uh, episode and I thought there was a little bit of tie-in because obviously UserLot is a company that – uh, is a product that is already in a very established space and obviously we do look a lot at our competitors in terms of copying, of, you yeah, know, when I say copying, inverted commas, you obviously look at what features they have because you need them. So it's a really interesting debate. Uh, debate might not be the right word, um, but I think there's definitely a couple of sides to it and I, I think it would nice. be a really cool episode. So when we kick that off, we'll obviously give him another big shout out. But um, Yeah,
1: and look, I actually have to... Chip in here and apologise. I butchered what Morton does. Morton actually creates an awesome package called Presentation Tools. I've, I've got the I've got the details now, Morton. So I'm getting it right. Look, um, he produces um, uh, it's a software that he builds tools that simplifies the workflow for live event productions and broadcasting. You know, um, he's got he does something which helps people. You know, switch different presentations at auto times, and he also has a cue timer, which means that at certain points in their performances. This will queue things up and and make sure that it get it runs to the to the right um, flow that you require in your show. So Morton, I, I butchered it, but I fixed it.
0: It just shows you how many niches and little things are out there. When you know if you're in that space, that's so valuable. That's cool. I hope that's going well. Um, but yeah, definitely, I'll um, you know, he, he sent us some good topics there, so we'll we'll dig into that one. I don't know if you did you have any?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, I put out the shout out as well, and I think our old mate um Tobias he actually got back to us on that one. Um. He, when I said to everyone, look, you know, what what comes to mind for you when you think about positioning your SaaS and other suggestions that you would make to help others in this context, Tobias got in touch with us and he said, I'd always suggest to define a persona for your user. And that's what we mentioned earlier, didn't we, Cole? Tobias said, make it personal. Give him or her a name. Think of the problems this specific person has. Then try to find somebody that matches that persona. Ask them what their problems really are, then you can solve those problems. Thanks, Tobias. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And I
0: think that's really vital, like for like you're saying, Dan, when you're at that early stage as well and you just you're not totally sure, you know. So like it's it's one of those things that have it up there. But even as a established cus business, you know, when we were, you know, much bigger in social pinpoint, you know, that we had those personas, but they also changed over time and stuff like that. So they're heaps useful. Absolutely.
1: Well, that's the shout-outs for this week. And, again, folks, if we have butchered anything tonight, do get in touch with us. We're on Twitter at push to pod, and we're also on email at pod at gmail.com. Um, you know, reach out. Let us know what you think as well.
0: And you can also obviously hit us up directly, and I'm at Gummo, and Mr. Dan Miller is Dan, I guess, <laughs> on Twitter. Um, please uh, leave us a rating too on your podcast listener or subscription product of choice we'd love that and until next time Dan Oh, well, actually until Thursday Dan I'll uh, yes see you meeting then
1: in IRL I'm looking forward to that I'm ready for a coffee with you Cole I'll see you uh, in two days no worries mate see you then Bye. Bye.